This is Unstable Molecules, Explorations in the Origins of the Marvel Universe, the podcast dedicated to delving into the early years of Marvel Comics, its characters and creators. I'm Gary Hollingsby, and this time we're going to take a peek behind the comics at Atlas, the comics company that became Marvel. We'll take a quick look at the state of the company in the middle and second half of the 1950s, and we'll see how a distribution crisis on the back of a congressional investigation into comics, which led to the creation of the Comics Code, plus the death of a young artist, enabled Stan Lee to be in a position to hire Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, and go on to distinctively forge the Marvel Universe in 1961 with the creation of the Fantastic Four. I did say last time that we'd be looking at the monster books that Atlas put out in the late 50s, but I'm going to save that until next time, when we focus on the company rather than the comics. The company that went on to become Marvel Comics was owned by Martin Goodman, a New York self-made magazine publisher, who followed the trends in popular culture ruthlessly. Once a trend was identified, Goodman would have newsstands flooded with similar titles. At the end of the 1940s, superhero, superhero titles were dropped in favour of westerns, crime and romance comics. Goodman's company reputedly sold in the region of 5.8 million copies a month, compared with rivals National, who became DC, who were selling about 7.8 million. In 1949, Goodman flooded the market with westerns and romance comics. He had 33 romance titles released in 12 months. 18 lasted only two issues, and five lasted just one. His Western titles lasted longer. In late 1949, Goodman discovered that Lee had been stockpiling unpublished stories. This led him to close the bullpen where the artist worked, and only hire writers and artists as freelancers. Joe Manili, an artist who is almost unknown today, and was really the Jack Kirby of his day, because he drew fast and well in almost every type of genre. He joined the company and made his debut in Western Outlaws and Sheriffs, issue 60, the December 1949 cover date, which was actually the first issue of the title. Manili sadly died at the age of 32 when he fell off a train, but his artwork is quite astonishing. More about him later. War Science fiction and horror dominated sales of comics in the early 50s. Goodman published hybrid titles like Journey into Unknown Worlds, Mystic, Strange Tales, Marvel Tales. And he realised how profitable self-distribution was for national comics. And in 1951 started his own distribution company called Atlas Distribution, which carried the Atlas logo on its covers. Goodman also chased the 50s horror craze, with titles like Adventures into Terror and Suspense. Compared with EC Comics and other publishers, Atlas Horror is regarded as quite toned down and restrained. The effect of the Korean War led to titles like Battle, Battle Action and Combat Kelly, and these military titles flooded the market in 1952. In October 1954, the adoption of the Comics Code changed the type of comics that could be sold. 
insisting on strict moral standards such as good triumphing over evil and respect for authority. It allowed the censors to censor anything they considered violating good taste or decency. The immediate effect was that smaller publishers left the business. Sales fell dramatically and the numbers of titles with all the comics companies were also cut. The number of adults reading comics also fell following what was effectively a hysterical witch hunt by psychiatrist Frederick Wharton and congressional hearings. And supposedly these adults moved on to cheap paperbacks that provided the crime western sex and romance that pre-code comics had, had given them. As a result of the code, Atlas increased production of westerns. Titles like Rawhide Kid, Ringo Kid, Two Gun Kid, Western Thrillers, Western Outlaws, Kid Colt Outlaw, Outlaw Kid, Outlaw Fighters, Apache Kid, Black Rider, Gunsmoke Western. The content of these comics was virtually interchangeable. Although minor changes were required by the comics code, such as the size of smoke from a gun, the censors didn't interfere too much with westerns or war stories, as they were useful in promoting nationalism and the mythologizing of American heritage. Goodman's company also published horror stories with titles like Journey into Mystery, Journey into the Unknown, Mystery Tales, Marvel Tales, Mystic, Strange Stories of Suspense, Strange Tales, Strange Tales of the Unusual, Uncanny Tales. Plus they published romance titles like Lovers, Love Romance, and Girl Comics, Merely the Model, Patsy Walker. Hollywood movies about medieval knights, such as Ivanhoe, Prince Valiant, Knights of the Round Table, became popular in the 1950s, the mid-1950s too. So Atlas launched The Black Knight, a five-issue series in May 1955 with art by Joe Manili and a script by Stan Lee. In 1956, Yellow Claw, an oriental menace comic, was published by Goodman's company. Possibly plotted or scripted by Lee, it had issues two to four drawn by Jack Kirby before he signed on at National Comics. And there's some possibility that Kirby also scripted these issues. 1956 was also the year that a young Steve Ditko joined Atlas for a short time, working on mystery and weird tales before returning to Charlton Comics. Goodman's Company, which was also the third largest magazine group in the US, moved to 655 Madison Avenue above Boyd Chemist's drugstore and cafeteria, which was the centre of 1950s consumer America. Think of the setting of um, TV's Mad Men. It was where half of all US advertising revenue was found. Most of the office space was devoted to Goodman's magazine line, which was called Magazine Management Inc. And it published a mixture of true confessions, movie magazines and men's magazines. But a tiny area was given over to Stan Lee to manage the Atlas comic line. In 1956, Atlas published about 70 different titles. These were bi-monthly, um, usually 35 to 40 titles a month. And Stan Lee edited them all. Many of the stories within each genre were inter interchangeable and predictable. 
but the art was often excellent. And reading these comics today, you get a real sense of a disparity between how dull the stories are, but how fantastic they are to look at. The era of the comics code was one where sales were in decline, and certainly were much lower than Goodman desired. So as he had done a decade before, he began to cut the budget of his comics line, lowered the rates for artwork, and then took the decision to fire most of the staff. While Goodman holidayed in Florida, he left the firings to Stan Lee, and Lee saw each artist separately, and then had to go to the bathroom to cry afterwards. Lee later explained, It was the toughest thing I ever did in my life. I had to tell them, and I was friends with these people, so many of them. I had dinner with them at their own homes. I knew their wives, their kids, and I had to tell them this. It was, as I say, the most horrible thing I ever had to do. At the end of 1956, Goodman's accountant, Monroe Froelich Jr., advised him to stop distributing his comics and magazines in favour of a distribution arrangement with American News Corporation, ANC who were the largest distributor in the US. Goodman did this believing this would save him money and possibly increase sales. The problem was that Dell Publishing Company was about to cancel its contract with ANC because of an investigation by the Department of Justice over monopolistic practices. This led to ANC withdrawing completely from distribution meaning that Goodman's publications had no way of getting to the newsstands. So Goodman was forced into a distribution deal with independent news, which were tied to rivals National Comics, effectively DC Comics, which allowed him to distribute his magazines. They would not let him distribute his paperback books, which was an imprint called Lion, which caused him to sell off the division, and only distribute eight Atlas comic titles a month which was a drop from the 35 to 40 previously. Now this meant that at the end of the 1950s, Atlas sales were 39% of what they were at the start of the decade. What was called the Atlas implosion was National's attempt to destroy Goodman's comics as a rival and largely succeeded. As a consequence, Goodman chose to publish 16 bi-monthly titles to give the impression of a wide diversity in the newsstands. There were four Western titles, Gunsmoke Western, Kid Cult Outlaw, Two Gun Kid and Wyatt Earp, which was cancelled in June 1960 for a revival of Rawhide Kid with Jack Kirby's artist, where the former adult gunslinger is rebooted as an 18-year-old dressed in black who has been falsely accused of being a criminal, and Dick Ayres, who had been drawing Wyatt Earp, became Kirby's Inca on Rawhide Kid. Atlas also published two romance comics, My My Own Romance and Love Romances. There were five teen girl titles, Millie the Model, Miss America, Patsy Walker, Patsy and Hedy and Kathy. They published one kids cartoon book, which was Homer the Happy Ghost, which was um, a direct rip-off of Casper the Friendly Ghost. Atlas also published three war comics, Battle, Marines in Battle, Navy Combat, and two science fiction monster supernatural titles, Strange Tales and World of Fantasy. Also, the name of the comic company disappeared from its covers. Dippy Duck 
Joe Manili's fun, funny animal comic, which only lasted one issue, was the last title to actually carry the Atlas logo. And speaking of Manili, at the age of 32, the artist died in a train accident in June 1958, which was a blow to Stan Lee, who'd become not only close friends with the artist, but also started a syndicated comic strip, Mrs. Lyons Cubs, which Lee, like most comic creators at the time, saw as the root out of the grind of working in the monthly comics industry. And Lee's reported as saying that he said he might quit the company if Mrs. Lyons Cubs had been a success. One night in June 1958, Manili went drinking after work with other artists. He'd lost his glasses early in the week and was short-sighted. And on the way home, had fallen between cars of his commuter train. Not only was this a personal blow to Lee, but the company lost one of its fastest and most versatile artists. But within a week, Lee got in touch with two artists to replace Manili. Steve Ditko, a quiet 30-year-old who briefly worked for Marvel, but established himself as a rising star at Charlton Comics, and was recovering from tuberculosis. And Lee knew that Ditko would be ideal for the science fiction tales that Atlas were publishing. Lee also got in touch with Jack Kirby, Kirby had fallen out with National Comics editor Jack Schiff over payments for a syndicated comic called Sky Masters of the Space Force. Kirby was desperate for work, and he agreed to return to Goodman's company, although later Kirby would talk about feeling shipwrecked at Marvel. It's argued that the death of Manili and the arrival of Kirby happened within a week, and it's this point that's identified as perhaps the end of the old Atlas Timely comics and the real start of Marvel. There's no doubt that the history of Marvel comics in the 1960s would have been so much different, says Sean Howe in his Marvel The Untold Story. With Ditko and Kirby, Manili would have ensured that Lee would have not needed so many B-grade artists in the early years of Marvel, says Howe. Although Manili's death certainly forced Lee to call on Ditko and Kirby, I don't think it's right that he was surrounded by B-grade artists. At the end of the 50s, just as Marvel's about to be created, Lee was employing um, artists and writers of the calibre of Dick Ayres, Joe Sinnott, Don Heck, Paul Reinman and Larry Lieber. And later on in the series, we'll find out how these characters, Lee, Ditko, Kirby, Ayres, Sinnott, Heck, Reinman, Lieber, founded the Marvel Comics Universe. Thanks for listening to Unstable Molecules. Unstable Molecules is written, edited and rated by Gary Hollingsby. That's me. If you like the podcast, please tell others about it. You can follow us on Twitter at MarvelUMPodcast. You can rate and review us in iTunes or subscribe to us in any podcatcher of your choice. And you can check out the supporting material at our website www.marvelunstablemolecules.com Next time, I promise, we'll actually look at another element that contributed to the creation of the Marvel Universe. Really big monsters. <laughs>